I have come here to Krakosia, and I'm all out of bubble. Really licked his ass. Are you watching closely? Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week the movie we watched at midnight was The Coen Brothers' The Man Who Wasn't There. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke? Set in the year 1949, we meet a barber named Ed Crane, who does not like to consider himself a barber. As he goes through the motions of life, working, eating, going home to a distant wife, he soon finds boredom in the act of it all and is given the opportunity to invest in a new invention called dry cleaning. (laughs) To get the money for this investment, though, Ed Crane is forced to blackmail the man who is sleeping with his wife, which he's strangely cool with. And from that moment, the world of Ed Crane slowly falls apart. Yeah, um, and honestly, the trailer they have for this movie, I really liked it. Thought it was very well spaced out. Doesn't reveal anything about the movie. Doesn't show any like huge dramatic action that happens. Um, nice soundtrack accompanying the dialogue in the background. Just overall, a good trailer, man. Mm, like it, like it. Got to appreciate it when it's there, right? Directed by the Coen brothers. Um, a pretty big dynamite duo. They've given some very popular films uh no country for old men the big lebowski oh brother where art thou fargo the true grit remake and many more so very clearly they know what they're doing uh yeah um i can i can agree with that considering like probably every movie in the past 20 years that's considered a piece of a dynamite filmmaking was made by the Coen brothers. You know, it's in every, every other one. It feels like maybe not the true grit remake, but we don't have to talk about that one. Um, who's starring in this movie, the legendary, the one, the only bad Santa, Billy Bob Thornton playing Ed Crane. Actually, we got to do more Billy Bob Thornton movies. I really like that guy. And then we got, uh, (laughs) the Coen brothers love Billy Bob. So, you know, Um, very true. Uh, then we got Francis McDormand playing his wife, Doris Crane. We got Michael Badaluco playing Frank, uh, her brother. We got James Gandolfini, the Gabagool playing big Dave Brewster. We got Scarlett Johansson playing Birdie Abundas, I think her last name was. And then Tony Shalhoub, Mr. Monk playing Freddie Reed and Schneider. Yeah. So. Theme. Theme. Existentialism in the form of our agency in life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's really what the movie comes down to is that yeah, that's they- about life. Life, existentialism, agency, and the actions and what you do. Um, I think we low-key got a lot to talk about with it, so. So, before we can talk about that, Luke, we have to do this thumbs up and down thing. So, where are you putting your thumbs this week? I liked this movie, but I'm going to guess that you didn't like this movie. <laughs> I did not like this movie. <laughs> why, uh, briefly, before we spoil anything, why? Just just weren't into it? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> that 
pretty okay. much sums it up pretty well. Fair enough. And now, dude. And now this. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into it. Um, you want to start with? You want to start start with with the title? The, the title there, kid. I I see you put the title in bold letters. I do want to start with the title because I want to ask you who is the man that wasn't there. Uh, I consider it to be Ed Crane as the man who was not there. Who do who do you consider to be the man who wasn't there? Well, we have a few guys that weren't there because we've got the guy that he signs the contract with, and then ends up not being there. And then we've got his boss that dies, or not his boss, the you know, the. The guy from The Sopranos that dies, <laughs> James Gandolfini. Because I'm not gonna lie, I at first thought it was Billy Bob, then I thought it was about the guy that he wrote the contract with, and because he just wasn't there, and then he pops up at the end of the movie. Um, I think that's a pretty literal interpretation of the man who wasn't there. You're going to go for the guys who just he literally... Wasn't there. He, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. We searched for him, we called him, we thought he's just skipped town. Turns out he was dead in the river. So yeah. that's, that's where he was the whole time. But I mean, I guess, dude, okay, so my theory on this movie is that uh, the tone throughout is very consistent, and I don't think they're talking out of their ass too much when it comes to the existentialism and stuff. But it really comes down to if you just enjoy the introspection of this movie. So, like, when I think of the title, The Man Who Wasn't There, I really just see it as Billy Bob Thornton's character, Ed Crane, going through life feeling like he is a ghost, feeling like he's not even a part of the story. When in reality, his agency is what sets everything into motion in this movie. Yeah, because he really just, he isn't there in his work. He isn't there in his personal life. He's just a guy that isn't there. So let's uh, let's let's start with his work, man. So what's up with being a barber? Maybe a lot more than we think, Nash. Maybe a lot more than we think. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, I mean, well, dude, okay. So, the, the the first line out of Ed Crane's mouth is that, like, I never considered myself a barber, right? So, it was like he was just doing this thing that he went to work every day, listened to the other guy nonstop talking while just smoking cigarettes, cutting people's hair. Um, I wish I could smoke a cigar when I got my hair cut, but live in 2020 not 1949 <laughs> um and then like as as he describes later in the film you know it's often like he's moving like a ghost through life like like i just said and then it gets to the point later in the movie when tony shalhoub is giving the monologue in the courthouse and he describes ed crane as the barber so like ed crane spent his entire existence not considering himself a barber wanted to get into dry cleaning wanted to do these other things but instead often settled for what was easier like marrying his wife who they clearly don't have the best relationship just lovingly the man never talks and she appears like she kind of just knew that he was going to be a floozy i think is the word they use in the movie or something so like how did you how did you kind of feel about the occupation of being a barber and the way that it's used metaphorically in the movie, whether we're talking about cutting people's hair and putting it in the dirt because it's a part of them or as Ed Crane grows as a person? Like, did you think there was any nuance in that or did you not really like care too much while it was happening? I mean, it was definitely um, there to represent like a very everyday normal. Every town's got a barber, you know, 
<clears throat> that's an occupation you find everywhere. And it's not like he's bad at it either. He just doesn't really get a lot of joy out of it, which yeah. I guess for that for the time, you know, I feel like everybody would have gotten joy out of having a job, you know what I mean? That was sort of like the social markers. Yeah. Was to be very well defined by that. And it seems everybody else is defining him by that other than himself, even though he kind of has a lot of weird dialogue around being a barber. He talks a lot about it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not wrong, dude. And like, I, f I don't want this review to be as slow moving as the movie was, but I feel like we're really just got to like dive into what what Ed Crane means as like a person with with agency, dude, you want to we've talked about agency this season with like a couple people. How do you how do you want to define Ed Crane's agency throughout the movie, considering that even though he speaks on himself as a ghost in the same routine, it's really his fault that everything happened. Yes, it is. He definitely sets the things in motion, um, but how much control he has over that seems to be minimal. It doesn't seem like he ever does anything that he ever wants to. Other than the investment in the beginning, you'd say? Well, the investment turned out to be a scam. Did it turn out to be a scam, or did the dude just get murdered in the river? Well, I, uh, well it didn't pan out. Didn't pan out, yeah, yeah. But that's a better way to put it, I guess. So either way, it didn't It didn't work out. So he... he and did he necessarily mean to kill James Gandolfini? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily. I say definitely not. I mean, he, in fact, even, well, dude, because he's so distant from his wife, he's not even upset about the affair going on. So yeah. even the, the act of him blackmailing James Gandolfini isn't even that big of a set piece because it's just a thing to him to reach this this motive that he has when looking at it in hindsight, it was kind of a kind of a shady motive to have to just blackmail this person who, you know, has the money um, to, to, to get what you want. And that that theme is used a little bit, too, where James Gandolfini asks him, what kind of man are you? You know, you could have just came down here and socked me in the nose instead you ruin my entire life and take my money. And then later in the movie, when he's in the courthouse, her brother punches him in the face, too, and says, what kind of man are you? So I guess I'm kind of torn between if I even like Ed Crane too much or if I just think he's kind of like um, – What's the word? Like a tethered soul, I guess, you know, like a like a a person who wants to do the right thing, but doesn't like that's definitely not the way to define him. Like as the man who wasn't there, it's it's I think it's pretty interesting the way that he's able to control what's happening in his life while at the same time not controlling what happens in his life. And even when it comes to Scarlett Johansson's character and trying to get her the, the musical lessons and stuff, he's like, I just want something to pan out. I just want to help somebody and have it work out correctly. But it seems like he can't do that himself. Yeah, because he essentially has probably the most agency in the film, but he also has the most agency in a world where nobody really wanted agency. Everybody wanted to sort of ride the line, you know? They wanted to stay on track with what they do and who they are. They Like, people weren't trying to expand into other things as much. Back then, they are just happy and content to be employed and for things to be peaceful. 
and he's, you know, the opposite of that, where he's not satisfied by that peacefulness. Even though he seems to have the most peaceful life in comparison, he seems a lot less chaotic than every character we meet. Well, you know, it it almost feels like he's in a movie where his character shouldn't be the one that's on display. You know what I mean? Like, we could have had a movie about Tony Shalhoub's character being the lawyer going through different cases, more of James Gandolfini, you know, if he didn't die in, in that first act. Like, it's it's as if Ed Crane shouldn't even be the star of his own movie, which I think is what I really find interesting about everything that's going on here, because it's such a slow-burning movie. That, like, it's either going to pull you in based on who this character is, or you're not going to pick up on, like, why you really care about what Ed Crane does. And I think that's kind of what happened with you, where, like, it, it wasn't even so much that it was necessarily a bad movie, but the things that were happening felt so, like, angst-filled, you know? Like, it was a movie that where you just, like, you, it just... It, chugged along and it chugged along and it chugged along and it kept a very consistent pace and i think that it's not it's not poorly made at all but is it well made i think so i don't know can you help me out dude i'm trying to like figure it out in my head i i just felt like he just made everything so boring like even the things that were supposed to be interesting they were just boring, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's totally not wrong. And that, that's why I'm conflicted. It's a lot of actually interesting things do happen. I mean, we've got, like, two murders. We've got some, like, a suicide. We've got two prison sentences, a lot of court battles. And it all just seems kind of like mayonnaise. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, there, it doesn't, like... It, like, ends up making you feel like he does, just hearing his voice and the way he talks and does everything. Those close-up shots of his face where he's just sort of, like, thinking, but he <laughs> don't really, doesn't really look like he's got anything going on up there. Dude, it's almost trying to be a boring movie. You know Dude, I mean? it is trying to be a boring movie. I know it is. It doesn't, it doesn't piss you off. I, it just, it's just like, I don't know, because, uh, all right, this guy's got a boring life, okay? Yeah. Try, tries to change that. That's fine. That's interesting. But it's not interesting to watch in this movie. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that's probably what annoys me. Because it's not even about, like, the failure. Like, the fact that he fails pretty much at everything. Except being a barber. Yo, facts. Exactly. And that's the one thing he doesn't want to be defined as until he's forced to be defined that way. Mm. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I... I <laughs> well, like let's. Hard. What? What? It's, it's hard. hard to, it's not like it's hard to follow. It's like I just don't want to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny, honestly. Well, let's let's try to break down the narrative structure a little bit because I did find it interesting that like the movie kind of ended and then there was like forty minutes left. You know, like like uh, Doris kills herself in prison and you think that that would be kind of the end of the movie, but then um, all the stuff happens with Scarlett Johansson's character. They get in the car crash and then he's back on trial to get murdered at the end. So like. Do you think that the narrative structure at all maybe affected also the boringness of this movie where, like, they set up the stuff and then James Gandolfini gets murdered and, like, 
Ed Crane seems to be unbothered by it. And then his wife, yeah. his wife is, is in prison and it takes them a little bit to get Tony Shalhoub's character to go on. But even as I try to remember it while I'm talking to you right now, I can't really make out the timeline in my head. Like, it's almost like the timeline was very consistent in everything that was happening. But again, it was just like, but we know there are moments where it wasn't that. Yeah, that's that's the that's the tricky situation we're in. Because I definitely like that story structure. I think it was done very well. Um, it's probably the favorite thing about the movie is how they structured it. I just <laughs> it just makes everything so boring. <laughs> I know. So like that, it's 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 hard to have like. Oh, it's hard to have a talk about the aesthetics and like and like what it's trying to do philosophically when like you really just don't vibe with like the actual characters who are supposed to see philosophically. But maybe that's the point, dude. Maybe maybe that's the point in it all is that we're not supposed to be extremely interested in Ed Crane's life. Like, I don't know if I, I, yeah, would, I, don't... I would want to have a conversation with someone who this is their favorite movie. You know, I, I, I want to know what made it their favorite movie. Yeah, because it's definitely, like, him being the major focus, I, I definitely feel like we are supposed to be bored, as he is, but there are a lot of things going on that aren't boring, and yet he feels like it's all sort of just the same thing, which it isn't, but it's just because he didn't succeed at that thing that he wanted to. You know what I mean? He, Where yeah, he, he began to, like, dig dig his own grave, almost. Yeah, and he's not necessarily proactive about it. It's not like he's, you well, know, tries to defend it too much. Well, even even in uh, around the middle point of the movie, when he keeps going over Scarlett Johansson's house to hear her play piano, I think that's the monologue where he describes himself as the ghost. That's kind of the point where it clicked for him in his head that, like, no matter what he does, this is kind of the life that he has. Is that the point you're trying to make? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Because even in, in, in all his change, he himself doesn't really change. Yeah. Well, I, I almost feel like... The character doesn't change until we realize that he's writing a memoir about his life. And um, I do want to talk about the ending a little bit because I thought the ending was interesting how hopeful it, it seems to be after so much despair in the movie. So, again, dude, I don't know. You want to... What, what do you mean with hopeful? Like, do you mean by him wanting to see his wife again? Yeah, well, it felt it felt like... Okay, so let's let's talk about talk about the alien thing for a second, right? So the oh alien, my God. <laughs> the alien thing was 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 not literal. At least I don't think it was. I think it was more of just an explanation for kind of the unknown portions of life. Like for example, when she says James Gangan Alfini got abducted, like unimaginable that your husband got murdered. That's the way that you cope with it was explaining it to that unexplainable. And then there's the scene at the end in the prison cell when he goes out and he looks up into the sky and sees the flying saucer. I kind of see that as him looking to better horizons, look, looking, looking past life to what could be going on afterwards, because I think it is known that he does believe in the afterlife when you compare it to how he describes hair growing. He's like, hair grows and grows and grows. Even after we die, it grows for a little bit of time. And they, they even shaved his leg when he was getting into the electric chair. Um, 
kind of like you know that that part where he's like uh, we we should put hair in 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 dirt you know i'm i'm going to bury this hair in the dirt and the dude's like what are you talking about and they yeah. barely, barely <laughs> even describe it when it happens um this was long winded i forget where i started but um when he's like looking looking in into into the horizon of the spaceship it feels it feels like he's looking on to something different. And as he's sitting in the electric chair, it's not like his mind is blank. He's just thinking about talking to Doris and saying all the things that he didn't have words for on Earth, I'm pretty sure is the way that he puts it. So like yeah. even in, in that moment in the really white room as they're putting him into the electric chair, it, it, it almost feels like Ed Crane's character shifts a little bit. And it's it's also kind of crazy that he got executed at the end of this movie. You know, it really didn't feel like it was heading that way at all until we realized he's on death row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he changes lawyers instantly, throws himself at the mercy of the courts. Yeah, death row. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, well, for me, the alien thing, it's got it has to be real because... He is a very rational character. His his entire persona is being a rational person, right? And so, if if the alien thing wasn't real, then, like, what's the explanation for it? Because I think it also pulls into the noir aesthetic, because literally at this time, in 19... In the nineteen uh, early fifties, this this is straight up when people like saw the Roswell spacecraft go down. Like this is the sa- like the literal time period that it happened. So it definitely plays on that cultural note in like American culture that's going on. That's really, I think, the biggest feel of this entire movie. It's like capturing these cultural elements. Um. And so I think it has to be real, but the, the that's what this whole movie does is you see a crazy thing like this very HD UFO saucer in the sky, and then what does he do? He just goes, yeah, they're real. So, so how... Uh, elaborate on this for me what do you how what do you feel the narrative difference is between it being figurative like i think or literal what you think what do you think the real weight between the differences of those are in the context of the man who wasn't there i mean i just think it really shows you how unaffected he is even though that's the type of thing that would totally change somebody that that's kind of what I got was the whole thing that all these things that happened to him are incredibly dramatic things that change other people. And we even see the other people around him change, but he himself does not change from all these crazy things. And that's what he's looking for. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the first one is probably the biggest one in that he took someone's life, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go, go going back quite a few weeks, but you want to talk about Cape fear. Nick Nolte's <laughs> whole thing was that he wanted, um, Max Katie to die, but he didn't want to do it himself. And even in the way that he kills James Gandolfini, he just stabs him quickly in the neck and almost let him choke him for a while before he did that. You know, so that's that's that, that that's a really that's a really great point. I didn't I didn't really think about that. How 
He's unaffected by things that would often affect somebody, even when he wakes up from the coma and they're telling him that he's going to prison. Um, he, he doesn't even care so much about the dry cleaning guy getting murdered, but just that, like, oh, did, did he kill Scarlett Johansson's character? Like, that would have been something that would have changed his character. But instead, going on death row for something he didn't even do appears to not af- affect him as much. And you you think it would, right? Yeah. And that's a, that's another good point you bring up because that's probably the one most emotionally tense thing we see him is that car scene with Scarlett Johansson where he's driving her back and she's trying to, uh, you know, do some stuff. And that scene he, in uh, Wolf of Wall Street where he's yeah he's <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's he's like saying no no stop it I don't want that I don't want that to happen like that's the most emotional we sort of see him trying to get her to stop even though we see him interact with his like wife in prison and with the lawyer when they're talking about how he actually murdered Galfini they don't even take him seriously yeah which I, I guess that all goes back to him just being a barber you know like I feel I feel like that Tony Shalhoub monologue really kind of opens up a opens up into the the nutcracker of what this movie is trying to be you know what i'm saying dog <laughs> <laughs> i thought i did <laughs> well like um how did you interpret the uncertainty principle he was talking about where like you look at something for so long that it doesn't even look like what you thought it was. Is that possibly who Ed Crane is? Is, is he, is he more than just the barber? Like he wants to be, or is he just the barber? I think he's probably a sociopath. Definitely. I, I won't. I yeah. I won't. I won't disagree with that. I mean, he literally murdered a dude and like didn't really care too much. So yeah, that's the thing. He didn't murder him because of what his wife did. He didn't murder him Self-defense. because yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He he only murdered him without care when he was defending himself. And yeah, it, he's it, he's not a malicious character. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he is either. He just seems to not really care about anything. And having not seen his character before the movie happens or before he's retelling it, we don't really know how to gauge that development. Does he have any character development? Not really, but that could just be because the whole thing is in hindsight. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's kind of in hindsight. Does he? Am I making this up or didn't... Um... Did did he say something? He said something about life being a maze and then pulling it back and seeing it as a whole, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, when when, when he's walking to the electric chair, he talks about how li- life is a maze because you're just making turns and making turns. And then when you're older, you can look back and kind of see the whole thing as a whole. That's, I, that's also I thought was a pretty interesting um, trait for the script to have was that it was literally like, okay, he he hadn't even really processed what happened in in um, and got him to the point of being in death row until he sat down and wrote down everything what happened, allowing him to kind of pull back from that uncertainty principle and that maze and like look down upon what was happening. So like 
again, dude, like I, it's not a bad movie, but I can't knock anybody for not being into it. And it's almost like it it wants us to just fall asleep watching it, bro. Like if you put this movie on at 10 p.m. at night, you're not making it to midnight, bro. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's a hard it's a hard midnight watch here at the midnight showing. Yeah. Uh, let's um, there is something interesting that uh, Ryan Schneider did bring up. Um, because he was saying how if like you look at a black hole, you look at a sink, how the sink works, even by you just looking at it, you change, you can change the outcome. And that seems like a pretty big existential thing, right? Principle, but like, did we ever actually see that? I think the only way we see it is as Ed Crane as the sink, maybe, right? Is is is, uh. is Ed Crane the sink where the more we look at him, the more we don't understand, kind of like how the more that we've been talking about him, the more we have questions about his moral ambiguity and who he really was as a character? Is is he the sink itself? God, this movie's so meta. <laughs> it is, it's a pretty meta movie, not gonna lie. Yeah, no, I definitely think it is. Yeah, I guess that's probably the best example. I didn't even think about that because I was just trying to think about, like, what are things that he, I guess, uh, um, Scarlett Johansson's character. I guess that could be another one, too, because maybe without his meddling, maybe she could be really good. Um like symphony piano player or whatever. But we don't know that because he sort of rushes it along. Yeah. He finds that one piece of her character and ex I was going to say exploit. That's not the right word. Cause I don't think his, his intentions are in that way, but he saw that one thing and was like, that's what I can use to kind of, I don't know, make himself feel better but that's not where his intentions were you know his intentions were definitely genuine but he was doing it because he had some sort of angst that he wanted to get over so it's like he wasn't even looking at who she was as a person but more of a way for him to improve his own life which i guess is the whole movie again dude is, is that not the whole movie of ed crane's character yeah that's a very good point yeah. All right. I, I've got a I've got a big thing I want to lay down on you. All right, hit me with it. So I I, I want to know if if you got any other small things you wanna you wanna get to. I mean, no, before. no. I think I think I think I hit a, hit a lot of points. Okay, because there is a very 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 difficult thing in literature. Um, that it's incredibly hard to do while you're reading a book. Um, and that's honestly why you have to do it either rereading it a second time or take very extensive notes. And that is gauging the honesty of, of your narrator. Oh, how, okay. how honest do we think Ed Crane is? Oh, okay. So now you're just throwing the whole plot into fucking interpretation, huh? Yeah. Well, cause no, that's a really big thing because like you said, the movie really shifts when we realize that he's in death row writing all this down. And I totally agree with that. It definitely does change your perspective on everything. So looking back, it's sort of, does this sound like what he's saying is actually true or does it sound like 
he's putting it in a certain way to connect all the loose pieces. Because they definitely do feel like loose pieces, especially with that scene that I know you and I both really liked where he was, like, talking. That whole thing happened with was Big Dave. And then, and then it's like he got interrupted by that thing happening with Big Dave, and then it went back to him narrating. Yeah, like, didn't even skip a beat. Yeah. Huh, that's a really good point, dude. I don't know. In instinctually off the bat, I want to believe him because I think I think my idea of Ed Crane is that although he necessarily doesn't understand the nuances of life, I want to believe he's genuine. Um, and the only reason I want to believe he's genuine is because of his relationship with Scarlett Johansson's character. So I guess if, if, if we dissect that, it can be seen that his motives are a little selfish and that he just wants to help her out to make himself feel better. But I'm not I'm not sure if how often he frames the story in a way to make him look better is really used that much, you know, because like even this whole time we've been talking about how this movie is, for lack of a better term, straight up boring. Is that just because that is how Ed Crane is? So I almost I don't think he's putting on a facade for us to put together the loose pieces, but I could see the human nature of telling the story of your own life and putting it through your own perspective that you are the quote unquote good guy, I guess. Ah, dude, I don't know. That's a really good question. That's a really good yeah, question. Yeah, because the way I see it, it's like, okay, because he's telling us that he killed Big Dave um, in self-defense. I mean, what if he did go down there to kill the guy that was sleeping with his wife, and that was it? And the whole thing is just a facade? And what if he did try to lie about telling his lawyer to make himself look better, just because that seems like something that somebody could very easily lie about because the lawyer's not there anymore. I mean, and they're, pu they're publishing his story. The power is in his hands. The, the power, God damn it, Nash. The power was in his hands for the whole movie, but was it actually? Because, I mean, when you really look at the man who wasn't there as a character, I guess it's really hard to kind of pin down where his... The whole point is that you don't know where his moral ambiguity lies, right? Like, yeah. And what if, okay, you know, because what if he's recounting the fact that Scarlett Johansson, you know, tried to diddle him? I mean, did did you expect him to not be interested? You know what I mean? Like, that seems like to everything I would sort of expect. I would expect him to be the manipulative one, but what if he's just saying that in his retelling so he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy? So so I, I guess it comes down to what you think of him as a person. In my opinion, I like to see Ed Crane as more of a genuine person who just makes mistakes and doesn't understand the weight of what he's doing. Do, are, are you on the opposite end where you're not really sure how you feel about Ed Crane? I, I just, I don't think I can trust him as a narrator because it's all about him and he seems to have a much better light than somebody put into these circumstances. Because he does admit to doing one really bad thing, which was blackmailing that guy, right? So if he's 
going, you know, willing to do that, even though he seems very nonchalant about that, is that genuine or is that an outlier? Is that part of his character that's, you know, within the normal, you know, thing to expect from him? Or or is it something that is just very out there? Because if it's out there, then his whole story makes sense. But if it's sort of normal, if that was like his him dipping his toes in, then the whole rest of the story gets a little bit darker with him just really lying about events that happened to make himself seem better. Because it also is pretty interesting when throughout the whole movie he doesn't really seem to care too much about his wife, and at the very end he does. Yeah. And also, I... Luke, I think I think you want him to be honest because he's the everyday man. Oh. And your whole world would crash around you <laughs> if the everyday man is <laughs> a dirty, lying, murdering blackmailer. Oh my god. I mean, dude, you're making you're making good points and I don't even think this is this is a very, a very hypothetical discussion point, but I don't think it's it's out of range for a legitimate way to interpret the movie. Yeah, and it's it's a very hard principle to do because there isn't a lot of direct evidence. I've tried to point to some things because we know where he is 100% honest, and that's where, you know, he admits about the blackmailing thing. But that's not the end of what he admits to, but how he goes about everything, it's very hard to believe, you know, and this is a very believable world that we're in, minus the UFO thing. Like that one UFO thing is just enough to throw you out there. Like, okay, this movie's out there. Not everything is as believable as we'd like it to be. Well, for for the sake of argument, let's say that it's all hypothetical in this discussion point, right? Because t- you're right. Take t- take taking away the one supernatural feeling to it. Again, with that uncertainty principle, though, the more you look at it, the more you don't really know what's going on. So I don't know, dude. The man, the man who wasn't there, is probably just a character study of Ed Crane himself. And I mean, yeah, dude. I get when you when you want him to be more genuine. I guess a boring movie becomes even more mundane. So maybe this is just you, like your instinct reaction to make it more interesting, since you were so bored the whole time. Well, here's here's the thing that does make it way more interesting, but it's not. It doesn't make me want to go watch the movie again. I'm not saddened by the fact that i watched it or upset that i watched it it's just analyzing a character in that type of structure i have to say because he's the one giving me all the information yeah no how how trustworthy is that person it's kind of like if sauron was narrating all of lord of the rings how much of that would you trust yeah no (laughs) you're 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 totally right and but i mean it's i don't i don't even think it's it's a stretch because what if you if you logically put that up against everything else you you and I have been talking about and the way that the man who wasn't there functions like it we're we're really lo- we're looking at a character who doesn't even know who he is himself you know what i mean like i feel like I feel like that's a pretty big point of ed crane's character is that he he might think he knows who he is but in reality he really doesn't and as we see him interact with all these different people we see possibly his selfishness pushed to the top above anything else so um, um, a movie narrated by a quote-unquote selfish person 
is probably going to be a selfish narration. So, yeah, dude, I, I guess it really comes down to if if you want it to be genuine or if if you want if you want it to to not. I guess I don't I don't know, dude. You kind of kind of breaking my brain on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, dude, just, again, it's it, dude, it's a movie that's entirely entirely like philosophical and existential. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, it's it's not even a far yeah. cry. Yeah, in a, in a movie that's sort of begging that from the audience you have to be able to take it where you want and that's where i want to take it yeah <laughs> no, it's mean, it something very fair. hard to do i think i think that's fair there's, there's something very hard to do in stories um and i'll come across it a lot and m- movies sometimes make it a bit more obvious um where sometimes they just wholeheartedly say no the narrator's lying you know by the end of it but I, I think this one is definitely one where you should do it because he makes himself seem like not that bad of a guy. Just sort of this one bad thing he did, the situation sort of ran away from him, got too big. But how he describes himself, it's like, I don't even, I don't really trust that guy. He seems like he doesn't care about anyone or anything. I don't think he does. I don't even think he knows how to care about himself. Until, but I will say the second I, – I really feel like the second that it pulls away and shows that he's writing a memoir about his life, the character of Ed Crane does change. I, I feel I feel like in, in that moment, um, he does become a little bit more human through the um, like alien sequence that we th- that we think is um, – that's like in, in implied that he might be dreaming. Like once we see that the words he's saying on his way to the chair, when you add up all the all the little notions about hair and life in the afterlife and all that stuff, you're totally right that it feels like a massive character shift. If it, it feels like a massive character shift right in that one moment. And you even said earlier in this review that it feels like Ed Crane doesn't progress too much as a person in this movie probably because we're just being told a memoir from the same person. Yeah. Or he doesn't see himself having changed because he didn't get that change that he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess, I guess probably the most, the most important part of the movie is probably the literal ending. Right. I guess. Yeah, I, I think so. It's definitely where you have the most sort of, definitely the most change. Yeah, and I mean, in in a, in a movie that was just so full of like sadness and hopelessness and despair, it's. But I think it's interesting that they had him literally be executed by the state at at the end end of the thing for for a crime he really didn't even commit. Which is an, another another layer on top of all of it is that he's not even being killed for the thing he did, but something else. Or did he? Oh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do it, Luke. They just locked me in here. Okay, point made. Point made. I trust. I trust no one. Trust no one. <laughs> I just wanted. To, I wanted him to be genuine, and you tore me down, bro. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, all right. Well, that really kind of still leaves us with the question of what is the man who wasn't there. It's kind of hard to say, clearly, just listening to us talk about it. Um, majority of the film, it's, you know, not about, it's about a not too interesting barber who seemed like he wanted to spice up his life. And in doing so, he gets burned and burned those around him. 
but his monotonous life seems to remain about as interesting. The black and white overlay, as well as the overall story arc, are the biggest distinguishing factors for this movie. The acting is also top-notch with its star-studded cast. This movie is an exploration into the noir films of the 50s, and therefore a slow burn from start to finish, with the largest parts of dramatic action seemingly swallowed up by the mundane nature of the protagonist. Its lack of massive success probably came from the slow-paced story that doesn't seem to go anywhere, like the barber's own condition. And they're aliens. <laughs> uh, yep, there are aliens. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know, I don't know. I, it, my, my final thought is that it, I don't think it's a bad movie, but... It's for sure for the film kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For, for sure for the, for the film kids. Two hours, black and white, very slow. Not going to put this one on at a party. It's not, <laughs> it's not the kind of movie that I would walk out of. Definitely not like that bad. Mm-hmm. I just like, I don't ever see myself watching it again. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel you. And I think you do have to appreciate the very consistent tone. The Coen brothers definitely did a good job crafting what this movie is. It just comes down to if you like what this movie is or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's honestly, that's probably, a, that's a very excellent point to make because it's like, those dramatic actions when somebody dies, when there's like a divorce, you know, big things like that, they're like supposed to be used to like keep the audience entertained, to keep them going, you know? And in this movie, amazingly, I don't know how they suck the life out of all those dramatic actions. Oh, like so it's, that, it's impressive, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like reverse movie theory. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, dude. It's it really like is. it goes against everything that I assume somebody would be taught. Yeah. Which no, it, it totally is very agree. impressive in its own right. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight. Message us at Midnight Showing Podcast on Instagram or email Midnight Showing with Luke and Nash at gmail.com to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and offer suggestions for the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Uh, be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. And next week's episode features existence with a Z with a Z so you know we're cool uh, and remember your donations keep the blue lights on Did you just make a pass at me <laughs> 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 <laughs>